Chapter 7 of For Fifteen Years by Louis Albach. Translated by Elizabeth Warmly Latimer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7 The Compact. Roger, after long meditation, had resolved when he went to seek his father to remain calm, firm, and respectful throughout the interview. He came out from it in a state of excitement, communicated from father to son as by a stroke of electricity. The latent fire in the same blood had been kindled by the same flash of lightning. The young man, as soon as he had closed the door behind him, had a dizziness, a sort of vertigo, a feeling of intoxication. He understood nothing of what had taken place except that his love was barred by an unjust, unreasonable obstacle for which he could see no cause, that Monsieur de Monterey's anger had been far greater than any that could have been excited merely by prejudice or pride of family. He saw that there was flagrant contradiction between the hospitality tendered to Madame Mortier, the consideration with which she was surrounded, the respect with which everybody was required to treat her, and this tyrannical refusal, that there was something mysterious about it all, in short, something more than could be explained by Monsieur de Monterey's ordinary unreasonableness and severe notions of morality. This severity of morals, which had so long been accepted by everybody about him, and which Roger thus far had never analyzed, now, for the first time, struck him as a deception. He felt its irony and suspected it was assumed had not his father in the first burst of his pride of race told him openly he had better carry off florence and become her seducer had he not given him to understand that as a gentleman he would object comparatively little to see his son the girl's lover but that he would never suffer him to marry the daughter of a man sentenced to the galleys this insult to all his feelings of honor and propriety had done more to demolish roger's respect for his father than all the rest his love could not admit those excuses which filial piety might have been ready to make his father in his fury had shown him the shallowness of his own notions of morality he was ready to tolerate an atrocity he would not hear of a mesalliance as roger thought over these things a burning tear fell from his eyes he wiped it away with the back of his hand as children do great suffering makes pure natures act like little children he went quickly downstairs fearing if he stayed to hear through the door what his father and mother might say to each other for if he had overheard one cruel word addressed by monsieur de monterey to his wife he might not have been able to resist an impulse to go back to put himself in open revolt against his father and avenge florence while he defended his mother he went down into the garden. He wished to go back into the forest. He yearned for its freedom from afar with the instinct of a wild animal. He feared lest any observer who should see him while in this unusual state of excited feeling might suspect what had passed and make comments on his sorrows as a son, his anger as a lover. He wanted to hide his double humiliation in all haste, to shelter himself beneath the shadows of the great trees, to weep where the sky itself could not witness his tears to recover his lost calmness in the profound peace of nature but he had not taken ten steps in the garden before he found himself suddenly face to face with florence 
if he could have foreseen this meeting he would have avoided her he dared not do so now however and besides a desire to make sure what she would say to make certain of his fate took sudden possession of him she was dressed as if for an errand outside the grounds of the chateau at this hour in the morning he knew she could not be going out for a walk when her mother was busy florence always had something important to do a great straw hat made a sort of golden halo round her face which rendered it softer than ever and harmonized all her features she had a little basket on her arm big enough to serve for other purposes than to carry flowers or fancy work and elegant enough in its simplicity not to disfigure the graceful statuette-like figure which carried it florence wore a dress of some black transparent material her beautiful arm shone through the sleeves she always wore black her mother never having been willing to change her mourning she however had a rose in the belt of her little black silk apron she was proud of her apron it was a sign that she shared in the labors of her mother the rose gave a bright touch to her mourning her gentle melancholy her devotion to her duty were symbolized by her costume had florence picked that rose in remembrance of the rose that gabrielle the day before had asked from her and was this flower too to be given away if some one else should covet it when florence saw the color in roger's face and the moisture in his eyes she came very near darting forward to question him but she had learned long ago poor thing to control her curiosity she only gave him a smile very tender very caressing and in a voice which trembled slightly said good morning roger roger took her hand pressed it several times tried to smile but could not dared not give vent to the grief that oppressed his heart and simply without a word led florence into the garden as he used to do when they were children and went out to play together when they were under the shadow of some lindens which formed an avenue running from the lawns and the flower beds between the two wings of the chateau to the entrance into the park florence recovered courage and ventured to say i am sure something troubles you roger yes i have just had a most painful talk with my father the young girl had a slight shiver which roger felt as he held her hand a delicate feeling made him loosen his grasp and restore her at once to liberty he went on still speaking hoarsely i see plainly i have made a useless journey florence responded sadly but with resignation in her voice then you mean to go away again immediately you will never come back to us no this time i shall stay here perhaps you ought not murmured florence roger emboldened by the shadows of the trees beneath which they now stood suddenly placed himself before her face to face and said are you not willing to take me for your husband i do not wish to be a cause of discord between your father and you i never will yield to injustice exclaimed roger florence trembled and shaking her head said slowly monsieur de monterey is right according to the views of right taken by most men he is proud of his family he is proud of you he will not hear of your marrying the daughter of a man pronounced guilty that was the reason was it not that you had so stormy an interview yes i knew how it would be when i found that you were coming home you were more prudent last time i was less courageous do not blame me florence for coming back and for speaking to my father where is the hurry roger i could have waited i can wait much longer 
and, if it must be, I can always wait. She said this in all simplicity. She knew herself worthy to be the wife of her early playmate. She understood the heavy burden fate had laid upon her life, and she accepted it as her appointed trial. But nothing would have made her admit any inequality in their two souls. Roger gently passed his arm around the waist of Florence. She did not reprove him, and pressing her closely to his side, he said in a troubled voice, I have less patience than you. I cannot bear to postpone, even for a few months, the happiness of having you my own, my very own. Does it not seem to you fifteen years since we promised to belong to one another? She gave a sweet little laugh. True, it is nearly fifteen years since you began to call me your little wife for the first time. You see, we have not found those fifteen years so very long, Roger. She added, as if to cover her own innocent laugh. As to happiness, why should we ask for more than we have already? I am afraid of dreams. Do you really believe, Roger, there is such a thing as perfect happiness? I believe that when two people love each other, they can make head against unhappiness. Well then, Roger, don't we love each other? She spoke so frankly, so truthfully, with so absolute a faith in him, that Roger was intimidated by her innocent confidence and relaxed his clasp instead of drawing her closer. He forgot his late anger. A grain of incense had been flung upon the flame that burned within him, and his heart was perfumed with its odor. "'Yes, we do love each other truly, my darling,' he said, passionately, "'and those about us ought to understand our love and not put obstacles in the way of that which they themselves have fostered.' "'Everyone is kind to us, Roger. Nobody makes those obstacles. They come from what has happened in the past.' But that past itself was the means, was it not, of drawing our parents together? It ought to be one of the things that unite us to each other. What can you want more, dear brother? Are we not quite united enough? There was no coquetry, no insincerity in this speech of Florence. She had no curiosity as to the relations of marriage. In her sad life, Love had been a thing so sweet and so complete that she was afraid of wishing for any change. As she spoke of their perfect union, she was so sweetly innocent that as she leaned a little backward, her head touched Roger's shoulder. Her great straw hat fell backward and dropped upon the ground. There seemed a heavenly light shed over her from head to foot. She seemed to make a bright spot in the shadows. Roger looked at her with loyal, longing eyes but he restrained himself. His mouth had shaped itself as if to give her a passionate kiss, a kiss for which he would have reproached himself the next moment, but which Florence would have received without alarm. He had the strength to refrain from giving it to her. They remained a moment thus, looking at each other, looking into each other's very hearts, and feeling that, after all, they were deprived of nothing, since such ecstasy was not denied them. Roger took his arm from the waist of Florence, picked up her straw hat, and calmed by the sweet delirium of this interview, he said, almost gaily, "'So you think it quite natural that we should remain satisfied to be brother and sister till our heads grow gray?' Florence, glad to see that Roger's gloom was passing off, began to walk on, answering as she did so. "'I don't think it natural, because it will not be the truth, but it seems to me that it would be very sweet and very happy. And they thought, 
said Roger. If Florence blushed, the shadow of her hat and the shadow of the trees let no one see her rising color. She walked a little faster and was silent. Do you know why I am impatient to have you for my wife? resumed Roger after a few steps. Florence stopped short and began to laugh. No, I am quite curious to know why, she said. Because it seems to me that I shall be always a useless idle man until I gain my liberty. Your liberty? What can you mean? I mean, cried Roger, with the eagerness of youth and generous feeling, that I shall not be able to do what I ought to do in life so long as you are not by my side to encourage me, to advise me, and to help me. I feel myself tied down in many ways, but the day we go forth together, knowing that we shall return in a different position, on that day, Florence, I hardly know if I have any real talent for painting now, but you might, I think, inspire me with genius, and I do know that I shall feel my own master, and shall cease to be a useless man, or as some now call me, an idler. How selfish of you, cried Florence with calm irony. I am only what is called a egoist baudu. And you are ungrateful too, added the young girl growing more serious, and you want to make me ungrateful. Shall we take away with us your mother and mine? We will come back to them. Could they live together, think you, if we were gone? This speech was not made with Florence's habitual reserve. It was uttered very gravely. Roger understood her. They, too, were the tie that bound together the inhabitants of the chateau, or rather, they dispersed the melancholy born of various sorrows, sorrows that ran side by side but never intermingled, from childhood roger and florence had been conscious of the esteem without really liking which made madame de monterey and madame mortier partners in the same life-work while no sisterly affection warmed their hearts to one another what would become of madame mortier if roger and florence overcoming all obstacles were really married the widow whose task in life would then appear accomplished but whose consent to the marriage it would be hard to gain would when her consent was given have no longer any excuse for prolonging her residence in the family of de monterey she had accepted her position in it for her child's sake and that position contrary to what commonly happens in marriages would become unsuitable and embarrassing when by a mesalliance she had become the mother-in-law of roger the question of fortune had never been raised as an obstacle. So many other almost invisible objections had started up and vaguely arranged themselves against the proposed union. The marriage, if it ever took place, must, according to nature and the extraordinary relations that circumstances had brought about between the families, be attended by enormous sacrifices on both sides and the most cruel of these sacrifices would be imposed at the outset upon the weaker party florence's wish had been to smooth away the grief and anger of her former playfellow but she also wanted to bring him back to realities to the common-sense reasons which she felt must separate them for an indefinite period so long that she dared not measure it i can answer for my mother said roger eagerly the silence that followed brought up a vision of monsieur de monterey to each of them who could answer for him would he not always bar the way before them roger became thoughtful 
would his mother be equal to obtaining from his father the consent so brutally refused not an hour ago to himself it was humiliating to him that he had not been able to carry off the victory he had so often rehearsed that interview with his father so well prepared for it so thought over how without forgetting filial duty he would make one great one gallant effort to succeed what had probably happened in his father's room after he left it his mother had sent him away as if she hoped still to repair the mischief he had done he stopped suddenly tempted to take florence back to the house again where were you going he asked her didn't i tell you i am going on an errand at the slate quarry then you would not have been back for luncheon no that is provided for she held up her basket i am carrying my luncheon she said to eat on the way i do that sometimes mamma will excuse me cannot you put off the errand and do it by and by can't you come back with me no no my errand ought to be done at once i have to comfort some poor people who had this morning suddenly to hear a piece of bad news then i'm going with you they had reached the end of the shady avenue and stood before a little iron gate beyond which lay a meadow like the foreground of the forest florence looked up at roger and seemed to be thinking you know very well he went on endeavoring to plead his cause that they never mind my not being at home for this meal at midday before my last journey i was often not home till dinner-time i was making sketches in the forest come this morning especially my absence will be excused they will say i carried you away with me i only wish they would he said florence looked down drew her eyebrows together and thought a moment longer well then come she said resolutely it may be well that you should see what i am going to do and hear what i am going to say where are you going she drew herself up looked at him steadily for a moment with a fixed smile and then said i am going to see a man who may be arrested any moment as a murderer these words said with some vehemence were like a cold wind striking across roger's love-illumined face they chilled him jean mortier's daughter had recalled her father to remembrance at the same moment the bell of the chateau rang loudly for luncheon you are called home said florence rather defiantly let us go on said roger he took her hand drew it under his arm and opening the iron gate with an air of resolution walked proudly forward as if he were ready to confront any spectre that might try to make him let go the hand he held in his the hand of his betrothed his wife's hand End of chapter 7